So Psalm 139, I'm sure uh, if you've been walking with the Lord for a while, it's a familiar psalm, you know. Um, It's an awesome song. It's a magnificent psalm. Have you guys ever been challenged uh, to be reading through your Proverbs each day? You guys know how there's 31 Proverbs? And so I remember when I first got saved back in 1989, my pastor, he encouraged me, you know, read a proverb every day. You know, whatever the date is, uh, you, you just read the corresponding proverb. And I tell you what, you do that, uh, you'll have read through the proverbs, uh, you know, 12 times each year. And, and as the years go on, you're going to glean so much wisdom. Uh, it's awesome what that does to us. Another thing that I was encouraged to do was to read through the Psalms. You know, um, I always tell people, you know, read your Bible every year. You know, I think in one sense, it kind of makes a it takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. You know, when you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you get a balanced perspective of who God is. You understand the Trinity. You understand what salvation is. You um, you get that balance between, you know, love and, and law and grace and holiness. And so it's a blessing to read through your Bible. Um, but it's a kind of a cool thing also to just be reading the Psalms. You know, maybe uh, before you go to sleep, I don't know how you guys are, more than likely you're not as bad, you know, we're here on a midweek service, but maybe at night, you know, before you go to sleep, rather than watching television, rather, rather than watching, you know, the, the bad news, you know, right, open up your Bible and watch, you know, read the good news, you know. Um, maybe read a, a few Psalms each night before you go to sleep. Man, the Psalms are amazing. They're the most quoted book in the New Testament. There's so many of them about Jesus. And there's so much here uh, that would comfort our heart, that would challenge us and reveals God's character. And so Psalm 139 is one of those psalms. How many of you guys know this is an epic psalm? You guys know that, huh? You know, this psalm, uh, one man said, is one of the magnificent compositions in the world. How came a shepherd boy to conceive so sublime a theme and to write in so sublime a strain the only answer is holy men of god spoke as they were moved by the holy spirit you know you read this psalm and you're like man how did david write this psalm i mean he's a shepherd boy and we know as we read it it's completely the lord now, Psalm 139 has been one of my favorite chapters in, in the Bible, and we're going to see this evening that it's very doctrinal. So theologians throw around words like the omniscience and omnipresence of God, but we'll also discover that it's not just doctrinal, that it must be personal. You see, David, who is the author of this psalm, not only knew the attributes of God theologically, but he also knew how to apply them to his life personally And I believe that that's one of the reasons he was able to do the things he did and live the life he lived and become the man he became. Not a perfect man, but proper. Not not sinless, but victorious. Because unlike many believers out there, even today, he was able to connect the dots of doctrine. You know, it's sad to say uh, today most Christians don't really no doctrine and the few that do rarely make that monumental move from the head to the heart but david was able to do that and that's why he was who he was and did what he did you guys know uh, probably a lot about david he wrote 76 psalms in the bible 
inspired by God, chosen by God to be a prophet of God, promoted to fight the battles of God, crowned as the king of the people of God, and is described in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. How did that happen to him? How could a little shepherd boy slay a giant? How could he run to the battle to get Goliath and kill him with a simple sling and a stone? And I I think the answer is, he made Psalm 139 mine. Kind of, you know, he he was not only doctrinal, he was personal. And that's the way we should be. You know, it's so important for us as Christians to cultivate the capacity and the ability and the wisdom to connect the dots of doctrine to our everyday lives. You know, sound theology, you know, discover, believed, and applied changes everything. You know, I remember one time reading a comic strip, um, Peanuts, and you guys know who uh, uh, Lucy and Linus are, right? If you guys remember them. You know, one day they're looking out the window and they're seeing the rain come down like, you know, cats and dogs. I mean, it's raining so hard. And uh, Lucy said, boy, look at it rain. What if it floods the whole world? To which Linus said, uh, it'll never happen because the Bible says in the book of Genesis that God would never flood the world again. And so Lucy said, well, that takes a load off my mind. <laughs> and Linus said, sound theology does that. And it's true. When, when you know that, that God knows everything about you and still loves you. When you know that he's not only a God who knows you, he's with you always, perpetual presence of God. When you know that he not only knows you and he's with you, but he made you with a mission in mind, it changes everything. And that's what Psalm 39 is all about. You know, we see here in verses 1 through 4 that that he knows me. He knows everything. It's called God's omniscience. But when you take that truth doctrinally and you make it apply personally, you, you see he knows me. Look what we read in Psalm 1. It says, For the chief musician, a psalm of, of David, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. And so one of the attributes of God we see here in Psalm 139 verses 1 through 4 is the omniscience of God. It's a 50 cent word that means he knows everything. It's an English word that comes to us from the Latin, omnis, meaning all, and scientia, meaning knowledge, and thus it means that God has all knowledge. Uh, A more comprehensive statement says that God knows all things, actual and possible, past, present, and future. And so the Bible says that God knows everything. You guys know that he knows all the stars by name and by his might, not one is missing, He knows and controls the sparrows. He knows how many hairs are on our heads. On the average, 100,000 hairs, right? I mean, he knows every time we tear up and cry, and he keeps every single tear 
in a bottle. He numbers every single one of them, and he even numbers our wanderings. You know, he knows everything about everyone, everywhere, past, present, and future. And, and here's the thing. God not only knows everything about everyone, past, present, and future, he knows everything about me, David says, right here, right now. And, and we can say the same thing. Notice again in verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. The, the word searched, it means to examine, to explore, to investigate thoroughly. Wiersbe even said it means to examine with pain and care. You know, the Jewish people use this Hebrew word to describe digging deep into a mine, exploring the land, investigating a case. You know, and we're going to see as we get to the end of the psalm that, that David prays a prayer again, search me, Lord, because here's the thing. We don't really know ourselves. You know, we think we do, but there are many blind spots. You know, it'd be like putting a camera inside your body to really see what's going on. Only God knows what's really going on. Sometimes we get, you know, little things here and there by the Holy Spirit. The Lord will show us things when the heat gets turned up and, you know, certain things. They, they say we're known by our, our reactions, not just our actions. But, but in order to really get to know who you really are, you got to ask God, show me, Lord. You know, the, the Lord knows us, and that's what we see here in the get-go. David says, God, search me like this. Even that is kind of an interesting thing because not that God doesn't already know. He doesn't have to search. He doesn't have to discover because in all reality, he knows me deeply, intuitively, instinctively, supernaturally already. He knows, uh, verses 1 through 3, our ways. Notice right here, it says in verse 2, you know my sitting down and my rising up. Now, in the Hebrew, there were two opposites, to sit down, to rise up. It's actually called a merism. It's a figure of speech. And basically, it says the sitting down, the rising up, and everything in between. We'll see more of this as we go through the psalm. A merism. You know, God knows all our ways, all our actions, reactions, distractions. He knows everything uh, we think all the time. As a matter of fact, we read here in verse 2 that God not only knows our thoughts, notice it says right there, you understand my thought afar off, which means he knows in advance what we're going to think. We read in verse 3 that God comprehends my path. And the Hebrew word there is the word uh, for winnow. And so God is like this farmer that would, you know, take the first round of the harvest and toss it up in the air so that the wind would blow away the chaff and the grain would fall to the ground. He works through all the nonsense and he sees what's really going on. And David says that God separates seas and sifts through the grain and the chaff when it comes to my walk. You know, God is 100% aware of me. And so he knows not only our moves, he knows our motives perfectly, flawlessly, constantly, not just what we do, but why we do what we do. And verse 3 even goes on to say, you are acquainted with all my ways. And that's probably a bad translation, because usually when we think of an acquaintance, we think of maybe a superficial relationship. But the Hebrew word right here, it means to know 
intimately. And so God intimately knows all our ways. And he knows in verse 4 all our words. Notice again it says, For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. And so not a, a single word that he's not aware of. And one translation says he knows our words completely. And when I ponder that, you know, I think of every single syllable of every sentence I've ever spoken my entire life. I'm already 25 years old now. You know, he, he, he's the most a perfect listener. You guys know about communication, right? It's not just the words that are spoken. It's the body language, the tone of voice, the heart behind. He knows all of that. In Matthew twelve thirty six, Jesus said, I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. You see, we're, we're learning about the Lord. And, and as you go through Psalm 139, I hope we really get this about God, that he knows everything about everyone, everywhere. And that theology is true for me. So I don't know what that does to you. Like, if you're here and you're in right relationship with God, and maybe you're going through hard times, hopefully that truth comforts you to know that even though you're experiencing the pain. That God knows, just like he told Moses, I know what's going on with my people. I see the oppression. I hear their cries. I know their sorrow. And, and hopefully when you understand that, you know, that, that that comforts you. If you're here as a Christian and, and, you're, and you're struggling with a, with a trial that's come upon you, not because you've necessarily done something wrong per se, but maybe because you've done something right, and even if you have done something wrong, you know, God has given you a trancaso. He's given you a discipline. That's okay. God knows what's going on. And, and I hope that that comforts you. But if you're here tonight and, and you're, you're in sin, you know, you're sleeping with your girlfriend or your boyfriend or you're getting high, you're getting drunk, you're looking at porn and you think you can hide it and you're a Christian, I hope that convicts you. Because understand, your sin will find you out. I've seen it over the years. You can talk to the pastors. They've seen it over the years. And God will shout it from the mountaintop. Not, not to, you know, push you in the wrong direction, but prayerfully there's a healthy fear of God. Because I see it all the time. Guys that you would have never thought. You would have never thought that that guy is having an affair. And he is, and he's, he's getting ready to leave his wife. Or that one over there, they're, they're having an emotional affair. And it's something going on in their heart. And, and we think that, that God doesn't see. You know, so, so if you're here and, and you're going through hard times as a Christian, I, I pray it would comfort you to know he loves you so much he, he won't take his eyes off you, that he's got this. He's, he's going to give purpose to the pain. But, it, but if you're here and you're, and you're playing games with God, I pray by the grace of God that today there would be a healthy fear inside of you. And maybe you need help. Maybe you need to go forward and say, I need to, to be transparent with the fact that I'm looking at pornography. Because um, we need that accountability. 
You know, if you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord and you don't have a relationship with him, he loves you. His son died on a cross for you. He bore all your sins, past, present, future. They they nailed him to that cross on Calvary. He died but rose again three days later. And all you have to do today is believe. By faith, believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. See, we find ourselves coming from different places. You know, and the first thing we see in looking at our psalm is that he knows me. God's omniscience. But then the second thing we see is that he's with me. Uh, look at, at verse 5, if you would. It says, you have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. You see, he, he knows me, it's omniscience, and, and he's with me. That's God's omnipresence. He's present everywhere in his fullness at, at all times. You know, there are two things that David points out in this section regarding the universal and perpetual presence of God. Number one is the protection it provides, but then number two is the direction he provides. You know, he knows our, our ways. We've seen that, right? He knows our words. And verse 5, in, in one sense, is he knows our wars. Look at verse 5 again. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. You know, because the enemy wants, he wants at you. I mean, just think, if God didn't hem you in, if God didn't protect you, if God didn't hedge you, perpetually just think where we would be but but god in his presence he does this in the protection of god he builds a hedge he is a hedge behind and before in other words all around us you know the the word translated hedged here in verse five it it's usually translated besiege and it, and it literally means to confine to shut in to secure and to enclose and there's something comforting about the fact that God surrounds us. We read in Psalm 125 in verse 2, As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. You know, one translation says God has hemmed me in. One even says God has squeezed me in. It's kind of cool, you know. David right here, he just says such knowledge. Notice in verse 6, it surpasses not only my comprehension, but even my imagination. It's too wonderful for me. It's just so amazing to think that the God of the universe knows me. He's with me, protecting me, directing me. But that's who God is. You know, and just to blow our minds even further, uh, we as New Testament Christians have even more than David did, right? Because in the new covenant, God not only hems us in, he lives within. 
And so David says in verse 7, I, I, can, I can run, but I can't hide. Where, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? In, in verse 8, you know, notice what he says. If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. Now, again, this is another one of those merisms. Heaven and hell and everything in between. You know, for example, if you want to communicate to someone that you've searched everywhere, you might say, I've searched high and low. Have you guys ever heard that phrase? That's a merism. And it's just basically saying everywhere. You know, verse 9, it tells us we can't flee or fly away from God. Even if we tried and took the wings of the morning and we traveled, what he's basically talking about right there, at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second. That we couldn't escape God. Now I have a theory uh, I want to share with you guys. But you can't tell Pastor Xavier this one. Okay, I'm just joking. Um, it's just a theory. But, but teaching through the Psalms uh, for me has been a tremendous blessing. Learning a lot of things. And a lot of times when you read a Psalm. You don't really have the background. And I think that's intentional. Because God wants it to be applicable in, in, in a variety of ways in our life, you know. But I always try to figure it out. I'm like, I think he wrote this, you know, during this time of his life. And so as I'm reading through Psalm 139, and, and I've taught it twice at our church, and I've, I've actually shared it at other churches, uh, I, I kind of have the hunch or inclination that Psalm 139 was written after David had kind of uh, joined the Philistines. Do you guys remember? Um, towards the end of 1 Samuel, he, he just said, you know what, Saul's going to get me one day. I'm going to go and I'm going to join the Philistines. That, that's the enemies of, of God. And, and he was there for, for quite some time. And he was fighting, you know, uh, he was killing. He was uh, faithful to the Philistine uh, king and and it was, he was there. And so one day the Philistines were, were in a war with, with Israel. Saul was going to be there. Jonathan was going to be there. And, uh, and, and by the grace of God, the lords of the Philistines didn't allow him to fight. And so uh, they said, David, that's the guy that they sang songs about, man. That's the one that killed Goliath. That's, he's a bad dude. No, we don't want him fighting, you know, because he might actually turn right now and, and join the the, the, the Jews. And so you guys remember, they said, he said, sorry, David, you can't fight. And so it was like a, like a turning point in his life. And if you would have fought the, the, the Jews at that point, my personal opinion is that his mission for which he was made for would have been disqualified. But, but God showed him grace and he left and then he went back you know, to Ziklag, and that was a whole other story. The Amalekites had come and taken their families away, and David was at, at the bottom. I mean, the guys were talking about stoning him, and so what ended up happening is David, he, he, he finally encouraged himself in the Lord. He came, he kind of came back to God. He came back, and then he called for the ephod, and he inquired of the Lord, Basically, what he did was he kind of got right in his relationship with God. And, uh, and, I, and I think that when I read Psalm 139, I, I kind of think that that might be what's going on. You guys are going to see as we go through the psalm 
And, and even at the end, it's kind of interesting the way that it all works out. But, but maybe David was trying to run. You know, maybe David was trying to, to flee, like he said there in verse 7, you know. There, there's other individuals in the Bible, like Jonah tried to run. But you guys remember, God chased him down. God swallowed him up. God spit him out, you know. I mean, it's pretty cool what God did with Jonah or, or Elijah. Elijah tried running, you know, and, and God just said, no, I'm not done with you. And what ended up doing, he ended up, you know, anointing a replacement for him and just finishing up the ministry that God had called him to do. Maybe that's you. You know, maybe in one sense, you're running from the calling of God on your life. And, and what God is just saying tonight to you, to me, to us, is this thing, we're living in the last of the last days. And we need a church on fire. We need a church that's holy. We need individuals in the body of Christ to step it up and to give everything they're supposed to give to God. And that's what David ends up doing. We're going to see eventually with his life, you know, he ends up with this mission for which he's made for, and he follows through with it. And so, I don't know, that might not be the background to it, but we're going to see as we go through here that it seems to, to, seems to fit, you know? I mean, that, David's running, but listen, God knows me. God's with me. God's after me. God loves me. You know, God loves you. I know in my life, I was at a crossroads in my life, and I, I was telling Tony and, and Pastor Mario and the guys that, that I was at a crossroads in my life where I had been dating my girlfriend for three years, and, and you know, she was a, a perfect girlfriend. I mean, great. She's the love of my life, but I was ready to throw it all away. I had a weekend plan. We're going to go to Vegas. We got the girls lined up. We got the drugs lined up. I mean, it was just going to be a weekend that would change my life. But right before I went that weekend, I believe I was at a crossroads in my life. Jesus Christ came into my life. He saved me August 20th, 1989. And I told my friends, I'm sorry, but I can't go to Vegas. Let's go camping. We ended up going camping. The very first weekend I ever got saved, I, I knew the Holy Spirit came inside of me. He said, you have to go to church. So I went driving around. I found a church. And, and what I believe is that if I had gone my way, I would have lost the love of my life. Not only my wife, but I would have lost the calling that God had commissioned for me. And we all have decisions like that to make. You know, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what's going on in your life. But I believe that you have gifts and callings and you're a part of the body. And what would help me in so many ways to continue to take steps in the right direction was I was cognizant of the perpetual presence of God. He gave me a promise in Deuteronomy 31.6. He said, don't be afraid for I'm with you wherever you go. And that's the promise we have from God. You know, here David says, I can run, but I can't hide. And, you know, God is so wonderful in his pursuit of us. You know, he's not just watching in some monitor in heaven, you know, observing what's going on down here. No, he is here. You know, he's not in some sort of heavenly cop helicopter, you know, kind of watching us fly. 
you know, simply aware, no, he's there. The Lord is not just near. He's here. He's here right now. God is here. It doesn't matter if you're traveling 186,000 miles per second, or if you're living in the deepest part of the ocean, a place called Challenger Deep off the island of Guam, 36,000 feet deep. doesn't matter. Even there, God's hand, David said, would lead him. God's right hand would hold him. And that's what we see in verse 10. Notice again, even there, your hand shall lead me. That's beautiful. Even there, your hand shall hold me. And I just thank God for his guiding grace. I thank God for his holding and protective power in our life. You see, he he knows me. And you guys should be able to say that about yourself. He knows me. He's with me always. And then the next part of the psalm, it emphasizes the fact that he made me. He made me. And let me tell you something. God does not make mistakes. You are fearfully and wonderfully and marvelously made by God. Made with a mission. It was all in his mind. And that's what we read next. Notice in in verse 13. It says, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. You see, he he knows me. He's with me. He made me. In in verse 13, we're personally made. We see that there. You, You formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. It definitely takes us back to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 where the Bible says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. You know, but it wasn't just the first person, Adam, who was personally made by God. Here David, writing 3,000 years later, says that he was too, that God formed him, that God even formed his inward parts and covered him. In his mother's womb. I mean, definitely a powerful passage to tell us that life begins at the moment of conception. And as, as, as this you know, child is there, God, God's forming, God's covering. It's interesting, the verb translated covered in verse 13, it means woven together. And the words uh, skillfully wrought there in verse 15 are translated needlework and embroidered in the book of Exodus. And so, can you visualize the Lord kind of knitting you together and, you know, putting you together in your mother's womb, even embroidered by God? You know, I, I, want, I want this. Personally made, verse 13. And then, and then fearfully made, in, in verse 14. I will praise you for I am fearfully and, and wonderfully made. And here in verse 14, 
Notice it invokes praise. You know, it's like, you know, this is a reason to praise God when you think of the way that he's made it. And the complexity of creation is amazing, you know, especially we who are created in his image. It reveals the glory of the designer and it should spark an awe and reverence in all of our hearts. You know, there's so much we can say here, you know, about us and, you know, the human body, our heart, our, our hands, our heads, our eyes. You know, the human eye is truly an amazing phenomenon. These little eyes process some 80% of the information we receive from the outside world. And the tiny retina contains about 130 million rod-shaped cells which detect light intensity and transmit impulses to the visual cortex of the brain by means of some 1 million nerve fibers, while nearly 6 million cone-shaped cells do the same job. But their job is different because they respond specifically to color variation. And did you know that your eyes can distinguish between 18 to 10 million different colors that your eyes can handle 500,000 messages simultaneously and the whole time they're kept clear by our window. uh, What are they called? Window wipers. (laughs) I mean, you guys ever think about your 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 the way that you blink and the little uh, juice um, that is is produced there. Um, just the right amount of fluid so that the lids of both eyes can simultaneously keep them clean and, and they blink 23,000 23, times a day and you don't even know it. You know, all the time that's needed is that one-tenth of a second and every time you blink, your eyelids, they spread like a cocktail of oils and mucus across secretions in the surface of the eye to keep them from drying out and then as we blink it also keeps them safe from potentially damaging stimuli like like dust and and foreign bodies you know so you're you're blinking now you guys are thinking about it huh you're like (laughs) but you know it's interesting because you don't notice you're blinking because scientists have found that the human brain has a talent for ignoring the momentary blackout The very act of blinking suppresses activity in other areas of the brain responsible for detecting environmental changes so that you experience the world continuously. And that is just the surface of the eye. Even Darwin struggled with the problem of how to explain such a complex organ as the eye, saying how could it have evolved through naturalistic processes And in The Origin of Species, you can read it. He wrote, To suppose that the eye could have been formed by natural selection seems, I freely confess, absurd in the highest sense. No, you are not a product of random chance. You are fearfully and wonderfully and personally made, every single one of you, by the hands of God who made you with a mission in mind. Now, our ear is capable of hearing up to 400,000 different tones. Our body, which produces a billion red blood cells every day, 
As a matter of fact, every second, think about that, every second there are 38,000 trillion transactions taking place in our body. We are, we are fearfully made. He says right there, we are skillfully made, right? And we read this in verse 16, we are purposely made. Again, your eye saw my substance be, being yet unformed. And notice in your book, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there was none of them. And so I don't know, it's kind of interesting to think that in heaven, there's a book about your life. You ever think about that? I mean, how, how they're already written in, in God's book in heaven, his dreams for you, so to speak, the, the destiny for you. And Wiersbe said, the Lord did more than design and form our bodies. He also planned and determined our days. You know, and I, I want to encourage you, it's not fatalism, it's not Calvinism that we're talking about. It's a beautiful blend of theism and a, a type of godly humanism. I always tell people there's a balance between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. And what God wants us to do is to come to a place of brokenness and surrender so that we come to that place where we aggressively yield and cooperate with God. And when that happens in the church, when that happens in individuals, when that happens congregationally, then the world will be lit up. You know, we look at our world today and we're thinking they're so bad, but maybe part of the blame is, I remember Romain used to come and he used to say, you're, you're pointing the finger, they're three-pointing back at you. What would happen if we really lived our life for Christ? Everybody. You know, I, saw, I know some of you do, and I thank God for you. You know, and no one's perfect, but some are proper. No one's sinless, but there are those that are victorious. But, but imagine if we all caught that, that fire for the Lord. We all yielded ourselves like, like David did. Well, how does that happen? And well, we're, like we were talking today, it's a balance between, you know, not just doctrine. Knowing doctrine is doctrinally, personally combination. You know, they, they say that if you just read your Bible and you learn truths, but you don't apply it, it's like an abortion. You want to bring it to life. Who God is. He's, he knows you. Everything about you. And think about it. He still loves you. <laughs> he knows you. He's with you. He made you. That's what we see here in this psalm. In Jeremiah 1, 5 through 8. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Right? That was God's sovereign work over jeremiah's life but then jeremiah responded and said ah lord god behold i cannot speak for i'm a youth but the lord said to me do not say i'm a youth for you shall go to all to whom i send you and whatever i command you you shall go to whom i send and whatever i command you shall speak do not be afraid of their faces for for lo i'm with you to deliver you says the lord the one thing that gets in the way so many times is fear. And God says, listen, take that step of faith. If there's a relationship that you're in that you know it's not right, you're kind of wondering, well, I think he's a believer. He's got a bumper sticker. 
No, you better make sure he's a believer, that he really does love the Lord. You know, if you keep falling into sexual sin, what kind of a leadership is that? You know, to sever the relationships that are not right. You know, and not just the sins of commission, the things that we do that we shouldn't be doing, but how about the things that we don't do that we should be? I believe that right now is a great time for Second Chronicles 7.14, for God's people to fall on their face and to pray, repent, you know, seek the Lord so that he would heal our land. And that, that starts with me. I say that to you guys because I'm telling you, that's what God's calling us to. You know, when we look at this and we kind of begin to put it all together, you know, God's got this book of things that that he wants you to be involved in. Remember Ephesians 2, it says, And we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. But verses 8 and 9 talk all about salvation. So how does it work? We're saved to serve. We're made with a mission in mind. And I pray that we would be caught up in that. What, what gifts do you have? You know, the gifts of the Holy Spirit? You should know what they are. Um, what talents? What part of the body? If you don't know, then, you know, ask the Lord to show you. Talk to your pastor. Talk to a friend who loves you. And they say, hey, I need to find out what this is. Imagine being on a baseball team and not knowing what position you play. Hey, you're on the Dodgers? Yeah, what position you play? I don't know, but, you know, I'm on the Dodgers, you know. You guys are praying for the Dodgers, right? Okay, good. <laughs> but, you know, um, we're, we're all a part of the body. We're, we're made with a mission. And, and I know sometimes we get caught in that because we think we're not worthy or we're not able. And listen, we'll never be worthy and we'll never be able. But when God makes a calling on your life, you just show up. And God does the rest. You know, we try our best. We try to be like him. We want to be usable. We want to stay humble. We want to be humble. But, but you know, don't let that stop you. Um, because you think that you're not worthy or able. Um, sometimes being involved in ministry, it actually moves you. Warren Wiersbe said the privilege of ministry is growth. So take those steps of faith and, and serve the Lord. That's why you were saved. You know, I was reading uh, about that guy Ehud. You guys remember that guy Ehud? He was from the hood there in, um, um, I was joking, Benjamite. He was a Benjamite. And so it's interesting to, that Benjamin means the son of my right hand. But Ehud was a left-hander. And so um, it's interesting and I don't know, but, you know, nowadays we know it's... I actually like left-handers. I think they have artistic abilities and there's something good about left-handers. But back then in the day, for whatever reason, they kind of had a funny view of left-handers. And so this guy, Ehud, he was a left-hander and they may have made fun of him growing up. But when the day came, the, um, Moab had, 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 you know, like conquered Israel in a certain sense during the time of Judges for 13 years. And so what ended up happening was God called this guy Ehud to be a judge. And so he goes over to the king of Moab and he's able to get past the spies because they're not used to left-handers and they don't frisk him in the right place. And you guys remember what happened? He went into the king's quarters. He took a, his knife 
and he just stabbed him in the stomach, remember? And then he ran out the, the, the back, and then next thing you know, you know, he was able to just save in one sense, redeem, you know, do a great work amongst God's people. And part of it is so self-explanatory, so self-evident because of the way he was born. He was born left-handed. He was made with a mission. And I pray you guys would know that's true for all of us. We are God's work, and that should affect our walk. Acts 17.26 says that we have this pre-appointed times of when we live and where we live. Like, I thank God, you know, I'm in the city of El Monte. You know, I, I, I grew up in the city of El Monte. And, um, you know, some people say, well, nothing good can come out of El Monte. But... <laughs> You know, I, I, I grew up there, and, you know, next thing you know, um, there, there's a lot of stuff going on, you know, a lot of gang activity, uh, a lot of uh, uh, drugs and violence. I mean, we're talking about my dad getting in fights constantly, neighbor neighbors getting stabbed. I'm just about to enter into this whole gang scene with Flores, and uh, when I was in sixth grade, my father was shot in a drive-by shooting. So what, he didn't die, but it moved me out of the neighborhood. Next thing you know, I live with my aunt and uncle. And, uh, and so, um, you know, I don't want to tell you my whole story, but basically, you know, um, when I did eventually get saved, Almani was in my heart. I said, Lord, I, I, maybe we could start a Bible study in Almani. And so uh, I just went, I said, well, how do you do this? I don't know how to do this. So what I did was I went street witnessing I said, maybe somebody will get saved. And then I'll ask them, can I start a church at your house? You know, that's kind of how we'll do this, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, just long story short, you know, that the, the whole upbringing, the whole thing, God's plan, God's book, you know, me finding a soft spot in my heart for the gang members because I was just on the verge of, of doing that. And I have cousins that were killed as a result of that. And so, you know, going back to Almani and seriously, not, not afraid, loving these guys. And then the first call I got as a pastor was for a young man who was stabbed 17 times, a gang member. And I went down to Greater Almani Hospital and he prayed to receive Christ. He said, Jesus, come into my life. And he was crying out. So, you know, whatever it is, you know, you look back at your life and the way that you're made. And sometimes I wonder, Lord, why is my hand messed up? My foot messed up? Why aren't I taller? You know, why did I start getting gray hair at such a young age and just different things, you know? And it's all part of the plan. God said, I'm, Manny, I'm trying to humble you, but it's just not working. <laughs> it's all part of the plan. You are fearfully and wonderfully made with a mission. And the things that you've gone through in your life, I know sometimes they're hard, but I want, I pray that you would see them for what they are. They're not stumbling stones, they're stepping stones. It's not meant, you know, as a tragedy, it's meant, you know, to give you victory. You know, and so when I look at this, I just think there's a book written about my days that God has this destiny for me. And what, what David is trying to say here is that God has this plan in verse 17 and 18. He talks about the thoughts towards him, you know, and earlier David wrote about his thoughts. But now he writes about God's thoughts more than the sands of the sea. 
You know, which is why Psalm 40 in verse 5 makes a lot of sense. It says, Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I number and declare them and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. You know, I, I don't know how to say this, that seven quintillion, 500 quadrillion uh, grains of sand, a university in Hawaii took a thousand hours to count a million grains of sand, and that's what they ca- calculated. Seven quintillion, 500 quadrillion, more than that, that's God's thoughts towards you. That's what the Bible says. And, and I like what Spurgeon said. He says, this is not hyperbole of poetry, but the solid fact of inspired statement. God thinks upon us infinitely. There is a limit to the act of creation, but not to the might of divine love. And David knew it. And David knew it. He said, this is why I can run to Goliath. This is why he, he was the man after God's own heart. This is why, you know, think about it. How can you be a sweet psalmist of Israel and at the same time such a rugged soldier? You know, I mean, this guy had just so much going for him, but it was because he knew who his God was. It's so important for us to have that, to think that God thinks of me. And, you know, I just... I can't fathom the thought, but I know it's true because I know the Bible is God's word. I mean, you know, wives, they love it when their husbands bring them flowers, right? Well, most wives do. And, and the primary reason they like it is because it tells them, not necessarily that they like the flowers so much, but what does it communicate to the wife? That you were thinking of me. They just want their husbands to think of them. Do you ever think of your wife, so to speak? Because you know how guys are. <laughs> and, and just to think that God does, you know, seven quintillion, 500 quadrillion times more than the sands of the sea. In Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And so, in closing, God knows me, God's with me, God made me. And then in the close, he says, and therefore God search me, try me, and lead me. We read in verse 19, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men. For they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me. In the way everlasting. I'll tell you what. This is a good prayer to, to memorize. It's a good prayer to pray. You know, uh, to hate them. It means to reject them. To disavow certain associations with them. 
you know, in, in verse 19, God, get rid of the unrepentant, wicked man from my life. And again, might it be the time that he had aligned himself with the Philistines and now he says he's done? Psalm 97.10, it says, you who love the Lord hate evil. You know, I think a lot of times we treat sin like, a, you know, like a cream puff instead of the rattlesnake that it is. And so he prays, Lord, I, I'm done with those guys. I'm not going to hang out with them anymore. So shift now. It's a new life. I'm going to find new friends. God, I want you to do a new work in me. And that's what verses 23 and 24 are all about. You know, in my heart, as I read this psalm, we now come to the primary point of the passage. And that is to ask God to search me and try me and then lead me in the way everlasting. You know, and that's got to be something that, that we pray. You know, I was today just spending time with the Lord, you know, just talking with him about this right here and just acknowledging the fact that I can't see who I really am. You know, I, I, I can't see the, 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 the sin within the way that he can, like we were talking about earlier in the beginning. And, and I know that you guys who love the Lord, you know, maybe in your walk, you kind of come to a place now where it just doesn't seem to be going forward the way that it should with passion and vigor and vitality. You know, maybe there's something in there that's, that's holding you back. And you haven't really taken the time to fall to your knees and pray and ask God to really search you and show you certain areas of your life that need to change. You know, some of us here, the Holy Spirit has been telling you, but you've been resisting the Holy Spirit. Please resist no longer. God deserves all of your life. But, but, but if you haven't, then let's go deeper. Let's ask him to search us and then to try us. And that means we go through the hard times. And you guys know that we're, you know, you, you got a cup and it's filled with whatever the liquid is. And you bump the cup and whatever's inside comes out. And sometimes we get tried in certain ways, revealing who we are. And, and so hopefully when that dross rises to the surface, we skim it off. We sift, shift, and let's sail. Because there's more, Lord, that you want to do. And then lead me in the way everlasting. And if you don't know the Lord, you know, it starts with a personal relationship with him. I'm telling you, whoever you are, whatever that addiction is that you can't stop. You know, when I came to Christ, he took it away. He saved and set me free. He'll forgive you. You can know for sure that when you die, you'll go to heaven. When you give your life to Christ. To lead you in the way everlasting. That's that home in heaven. That's that place where pizza's good for you, man. <laughs> it's where we're going to be in the presence of God. No more sin. No more suffering. We talked about heaven and hell tonight. You choose. Choose Christ. But it's not just the, the place where, you know, the lost get saved, but to lead me in the way everlasting. To me, it's like this is God's road for my life. This is what he wants me to do. This is the, the husband and the father 
and, and the pastor, the servant that I am supposed to, to be. This is the mission that I was made for. I was saved to serve in this way. Lord, lead me in the way everlasting. And I, and I just pray that if that's you as a Christian and you need guidance and God's doing a new work, that today you would follow him with all of your heart. You know, when you look at this psalm, I, I think it's supposed to change us. You know, it's not just like, hey, this is about God, this is about God, this is about God. Yeah, this is about God, but so that it changes us, Right? And so I was reading the story of an elderly grandfather who was very wealthy. And because he was going deaf, he decided to buy a hearing aid. Two weeks later, he stopped at the store where he bought the hearing aid. And he told the manager that he could now pick up conversations quite easily, even in the next room. And so, you know, the, the, the salesman said, your relatives must be happy to know that you can hear so much better now. And he said, oh, I haven't told them yet. <laughs> I've just been sitting around listening. And you know what? I've changed my will two times already. <laughs> and, 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 you know, for us, here's how I'll close. Shouldn't it change us knowing that God is this kind of God who sees and hears and, and loves the way that he does? I pray that it, that it would, you guys. I pray you'd be blessed and encouraged. And that God would do a new work in all of our lives. We're living in the last of the last days, huh? It's like the end of the game and it's on the line. And look, he put you in. <laughs> uh, let's see if God would just work in us in a gracious way that we come through. Oh, Lord, I thank you for your beautiful people, Lord. I pray, Lord, that just the, the truth that you know us, um, you're with us, you made us for a mission. Uh, Lord, would do uh, just wonders in our heart. And Father, I just pray you continue to bless this beautiful church. I lift up Pastor Xavier to you. Be with him. Keep him safe. And just continue, Lord, to pour out your spirit on us. And Father, I do pray if there's anyone here struggling, Lord, that you would just lift them up. And if there's anyone here, Lord, who doesn't know you, that tonight you would breathe life on them that they would make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. We love you. We thank you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God.